0: welcome to another episode of el cafecito my name is leonardo casenza i'm your host for this third season reminding everyone that el cafecito is sponsored by the latin american studies program at the university of toronto without them nothing of this would be impossible and now for my introduction oda is going to take over the world
1: hola hello cubo my name is raquel and alerta peru alerta
2: hola hola hi everyone my name is andrea caceres i'm a student at the university of toronto I'm doing a double major in Human Geography and Diasporas and Transnational Studies. A bit about myself, I was born in Mexico, but I've been raised in Peru most of my life. I'm currently located here, where we're going through a political crisis, and I think that what we need to know is, se metieron con la generación equivocada.
3: Hello, hello uh, He, This is Gilly, and I wonder if Peru is governable
0: okay so we're here together to talk about some recent really fresh news um in the past monday the 9th of november the president of peru martin vizcarra was destituted from his charge from his from his uh from office after serving for three years and eight months and the congress removed him for uh alleged charges of permanent moral incapacity um because he apparently received bribes as the governor general of moquegua in 2014 for construction public contracts and now uh we currently have a transition government headed by Manuel merino de lama from accion popular and this and Martín Vizcarra has been removed from office, and now we have several protests happening in Peru. And I wanted, to, and I want to ask, why was he removed from office? What was the political pressures behind this, the removal from office? Because I can imagine that he didn't get removed just because of his uh, crime scandals, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, education is a very important aspect uh, when when it comes to the political crisis and the impeachment of the president which is something that not everyone knows. Uh, sometimes we talk a lot about um, the fight between powers. Uh, there's a lot of political parties in Peru that do not agree with each other. And instead of working collaboratively in a democracy, they start doing things like that. They start fighting for power and, and, and this causes, for example, an impeachment of a president just a month before uh, the elections in April of 2021. Um, it's very important to know that this time Martín Vizcarra was impeached for permanent moral incapacity. Uh, this uh, statement in the Constitution uh, sadly is open to a lot of interpretations. And in this case uh, the congressmen have decided to um, to interpret it to their own benefits instead of the benefits of the population. At least this is how a lot of young people uh, see it in the population because if you can see in different newspapers in Peru, 78% of the population didn't want the impeachment of Martin Vizcarra, even though there were allegations of corruption. Yes, but it would put Peru in a much more uh, critical crisis than w- what we already are. So what's moral incapacity? That's a question that I think we should all ask ourselves uh, before even talking about uh, um, what's happening r- r- right now in Peru. How open is how how broad is the idea of moral incapacity and how it can be changed uh, just for congressmen to use it in their favor. This time they're saying that Vizcarra is morally incapacitated um morally he has a moral incapacity because he is corrupted. But 68 of the congressmen are also um has different charges because of corruption. So is this like fighting powers and they're leaving the population like saying what are you doing to us you know they're not listening the ones who uh, are said to be our representatives are not doing anything for us but yeah i think thinking about moral incapacity i don't know what you guys think about
1: it what are your first thoughts when you you see this word? yeah definitely i was uh uh, today i was watching this uh today between um different um academics and scholars and like people that know a lot about um peru they were saying, especially this this person was saying uh how easy it is to use the constitution to your advantage whenever you want to. Because there's like the way like wording or maybe just like how you just like interpretate the different uh, things that the constitution states. So that's that part is really alarming because right now they're using the constitution for that. But I'm just wondering what else can they do with this? the Constitution, uh, with these uh, almost like blank spaces where like you can use it for whatever you want. And um, the other question that I was trying to come up with an answer is why now? Like why during like right now November, November, uh, Peru is one of the countries that has been affected by the pandemic um, in a very particular way compared to other Latin American countries. So why now? Uh, why right now when like People of Peru need more certainty, need the assurance that the, their government, that their president is doing everything to protect them. I think the why
2: now question really got us all Peruvians thinking like, why exactly now? But I think it's been a buildup of, of fights uh, between the powers uh, within the state. It's basically Vizcarra, I believe, it's been one of the most upfront presidents that has not allowed um, these uh, power confrontments um, to, to let people down. He had a lot of, of of embracements from the population, which is very weird with our history of presidents. Most of them are now in jail. So I think that the, it was, um, I think the congressmen and people who have been in the government for many years were scared uh, of, of losing their power, that someone was willing to say to them no, which It it was at times also scary for the population to see a president such upfront and saying that it it also was scary because we didn't know actually what Vizcarra could do. But but yeah, it was a fight between powers. It was also, uh, as I said before, it was also a lot about education. There's been a a university law that has passed, I think, in 2016, which has affected a lot of the congressmen who are actually right now. A lot of of them invest a lot in these uh, university. If you if you look everywhere, these universities are sometimes called phantom universities because they are not truthful about the quality of education. They're not truthful about the infrastructure. They even and um, things in front of them, so people cannot look at the infrastructure and see the reality of the quality of education. So. Education is at play for a lot of Peruvians. Uh, One of the first things that the congressmen uh, actually did just uh, less than 24 hours after the president Vizcarra was impeached is they wanted to change this law that actually promoted equality education. And well, you'll see that a lot of congressmen um, have a lot of, of critiques of being part of the corruption within education. And it's really putting a lot of Peruvians in danger. Why now, as persons, as people that have family, as people that see that a lot of Peruvians have suffered in the pandemic, I really don't understand why they decided this. But at the end, we know that this is an interest of power and everything they've done, I think, is beneficial for them. They forgot uh, who they represent.
0: So as so, so someone looking from afar, I would say that the first reaction that someone would have to the protest is why are Peruvians so mad if impeaching the president is theoretically a good thing, right? Um, and I wonder why is this the case?
2: Yeah, so it's actually a question that, I, that I've that i had myself uh, attending to protests and also looking at the protests, like what do we want to achieve through this? Um, I think that one of the things that we're most damaged as young Peruvians is that realizing that we don't have representation at all. I think that's one of the most important cases. What do we want to achieve through this? Is that we also have a voice. And we're not just uh, people who sometimes vote or sometimes don't vote or people who don't have enough education to really know who are we voting for in elections. We have uh, rights, we're suffering. And I think that we just want to say that we are, like, we're exhausted of, of, this, uh, of this power brutality that it's happened within the, the, the government. We're exhausted that we're not being represented, we're exhausted that we're not being listened. And this is a great exmo- example. A lot of the population didn't want this cara to go, not because of him, not because we didn't thought he was uh, not corrupted, but it was because we needed st- uh, uh, stability. We didn't uh, needed another crisis, we didn't needed another fight between politics that would actually cause a lot of questions and inquiries within the the population and what's going to happen tomorrow. We want that stability in a time of crisis. And I think that's what we try to achieve through protest. It's not about Vizcarra, it's not about that he was a good president, but it was that it's time for them to listen to us. It's time for corruption to stop.
3: I have a question actually, if you don't mind. Because you you talked about how there's been a crisis between the powers really in Peru. And I, I think this was late last year. Um, that uh, Martin Viscarra almost got impeached. Uh, if I remember correctly, he he dissolved the Congress, but Congress wouldn't accept it, and they impeached him. But then, um, in the end, of, in the end of the day, that his prerogative of the uh, he he dissolved the Congress before, so uh, that's what what happened, and then you guys had new uh, congr- uh, congressional elections. Um, so my question is, would you would it be because of that? Would it be correct to affirm that Viscarra was already in a very tight place. Like maybe he was already maybe facing uh, uh, his end because at that point he was already in conflict uh, with Congress.
2: Yeah. So one of the most important aspects or characteristics that has Vizcarra is that it's one of the presidents that the the population didn't choose. We didn't uh, vote for him as president. We vote for Pedro Pablo Kuczynski, which is PPK. And he also almost got impeached, but he he went out of office before the impeachment was completed and so vizcarra came up to power so it was the question that we didn't elect him as a president he was a minority Uh, and the congressman the con the congress uh, had a very strong political power of uh, fujimori i don't know if you guys know but um, alberto fujimori was a president but there's a lot of presence of his political party in the congress in the congress last year so while Vizcarra was a very uh, a minority within uh, its political party, within, within its ideals, it was very easy for a Congress, which has a lot of different pol- political ideals, to negate everything that he asked. So um, it was everything that he wanted to change or any request. The congressman literally just said no, because they had much more power uh, due, due because they had much more seats in the Congress. So that's, I think, why um, Vizcarra tried to to negotiate with them, but they were just um, close to any nego- negoci- negotiations. So it was a very hard move of him to actually close the Congress because you're thinking, OK, like what's happening? We did not elect him, and he's now making moves like this. So I, I do think that uh, this actually caused a lot of political um, friction within different uh, parties, especially the one of Fukimori or Acción Popular or even other political parties that align uh, with this kind of, of ideologies. It was the idea that he was a minority and it was so hard for him to get anything done because they they said, he we didn't elect him as, as president, so why should I listen? Even though everything was constitutional, you know? And the Congress already wanted to impeach the previous president, now they, the new Congress impeached the new president. Like, what's the pattern that we see here? You know, are these uh, two powers in the state constantly gonna fight? For the rest of the polit- of the Peruvian politics, what's going to happen to us, you know? And I think definitely, it's a, as I said before, is is a fight of powers, and different decisions that maybe weren't the best at the time increased this friction between parties, and now are doing the casualties.
0: Yeah, you you were mentioning the vice presidents, and I was thinking about that. And I mean, from the Brazilian experiment of of Juma josef being impeached and Michelle Temer, who was vice president, coming up and the people hating him and calling for him to leave and saying that he wasn't representative of the people, just shows that Latin Americans don't look at the ballot box. They just vote for the president and don't look at the vice president. And the vice president is fundamental for politics, especially for such unstable politics like we have in Latin America. An impeachment could happen, just like in Brazil, just like happened in, in Peru and that and how and, and could happen again in many other Latin American countries. So it's interesting to see how uh, these these major politicians will will gather minorities through their vice presidents and then up in the end their vice president will turn up to power and this and this creates a major crisis in government, right? Because this becomes a minority government just like happened in uh, well in the Brazil in the Brazilian case it became a majority government after the coup. Um, but still a minority in terms of representation, right? It's still old white men, corrupt old white men from what we call the centrão in Brazil, which I can imagine happens also in Peru. this idea that there's a, a kind of accion popular is probably kind of the center that kind of just lives there forever and will never escape. And it's interesting to see how a lot of Americans just don't think about the vice president they their voting right?
1: I wonder I mean I think there's a lot of a relation between what you're saying with populism and how presidents and like candidates just use that to get that power, get those positions of leadership and power and like rule the country and... Okay, so going back to the debate that I was talking uh, before. So there, there was this speaker, uh, she was saying that there's a lot of caudillismo present in our societies and how this influence our election processes and also how we choose our leaders how we are looking maybe for these like strong men. We're looking at individual figures rather than like their platforms, uh, what they're working on and how they're trying to improve their societies. Um, So I think it's really important for us to to think about all these, think about the history of our countries, think about how we are electing our leaders. We, We have elections coming up next year in in Peru, in in Ecuador, and in other countries of Latin America. So I think it's important for us to stay alert, to have these conversations about politics. Uh, Hopefully we can choose better leaders for our societies.
3: Yeah, Raquel, I I completely agree. And just to quickly take back to to the the, the Peruvian case study, um, I was just, I just saw this. And so in 2016, you guys had an election in Peru, and which we're talking about um, how uh, PPK was elected. And it was a very narrow election. I'm, I'm looking here, The Nano was that narrow. So according to these numbers that I'm looking at, he won by a little over 41,000 votes um, with 50 only 50.1% of the votes. So um, what I'm trying to get with this is that uh, Peru is, at least it was in 2016, I, I, it's probably still is, a very divided and polarized country, much like um, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, uh, the United States, really anywhere, actually even more than a lot of these countries, just looking at these numbers, um, so how, how much of an influence do you think that has has on on the fact that Peru, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, it seems like it's ungovernable because every time you have a leader, uh, the other side just takes them down. So what what influence do you think that this, polar, this intense polarization has and, and what can be done to maybe get past it?
2: So we were talking about um, the division of politics within uh, Peru especially. And I do believe that there's this division, especially from one of the political parties and political histories that we have in our country. We do see these powerful faces in in, in in Peruvian politics throughout many years. And I think that one of the most predominant is the history of the Fujimori family. We start with Alberto Fujimori, one of the dictatorships in the 80s, 90s, uh, that um, that helped the country went through a very... Um, critical terrorism situation. And then her daughter, Keiko Fujimori, is the one against PPK, who it, uh, we were talking um, about just previously, is discusses this division within the country, PPK, as you said, only one uh, from a, a little, um, from a very narrow uh, percentage of the population voting for him. Because the elections were not necessarily I like PPK or it was I like fukimori but it was okay i don't want keiko to be my president so i'm gonna vote for the other one so is is this division within the country because i think from from the era that her father was the president there's a lot of also very a lot of feelings and a lot of opinions of of what he caused in the country for many it was a very good president because he ended with terrorism but for many others he killed a lot of people to do that very innocent people indigenous communities and he was very. he, he was inside on many brutal um, situations. So I do think they've caused um, a division within the country uh, due to its uh, political history, political power. And we also see these figures, not only Keiko, but also, also his brother, his father. I know that right now he's in jail, but he's been able, due to his political power, to even go to his house when he was in jail. you know, And they say he was gonna die, but he's still living three years after. And I think that they are just so um, powerful political forces in Peru that just persist. And another thing that I also think it influences uh, this division in the country is the lack of education. There's a lot of lack of education that doesn't doesn't allow uh, a lot of people to really think critically when they're electing someone. And and they what they do is that they go from facts, how they live, how their parents live, the, the the era of terrorism. If they had a, a, a good experience, they're going to go for Fujimori. If they didn't have a good experience, they're not going to go for, for Fujimori, but they're not going to think about who else they are electing. It's only the mindset of I'm not voting for you, so I'm voting for the other one, just because the other one is not you, not really educating ourselves. But also, I think a powerful um, thing that we're saying right now in protest is and the most powerful enemy for a corrupted government is an educated population so what i think could change the history of these political powers is increasing education in our country right now in peru there are more than um 20 of the population lives in poverty a lot of popula- of the population do not have a quality of education due to the centralization of of the country which means that people uh, or don't have access to internet or don't really know how to read or write or have a critical thinking of who they are electing. So I do think pop- education is the, is the way to go in order to change these political powers in order to understand, you know, as we were talking, and understand not only the president, but also the vice president. is such an important uh, figure as well, and we don't think about it. And, and I, I think politicians take advantage of the lack of education and also perpetuate the lack of education and using populism. They promise a lot to the populations that are in vulnerable positions because there's a lot of people that need water, a lot of people that need education, a lot of people that need food. What do politicians do? They offer them and promise it, promise them that. And that also what actually causes this, this separation in the, in the country. A lot of people, a lot of politicians gain a lot of votes due to populism, but the small percentage of educated uh, community, it's not the majority. You know, and it can cause this kind of frictions and divisions in politics. But yeah, education is the main way. So people start thinking and understanding how politics can affect our lives.
0: I think a, a critical aspect of what's happening in Peru, from what it seems from my perspective, is that the population seems to have an extreme distaste for politics. So this idea that the co- the government is so corrupt, and we have this idea too in Brazil, that the government is so corrupt that politics... so. Um, people equate politics with government and government with corruption. And so become so. politics equates corruption. And then therefore, politics becomes this exterior realm in which, which the people never participate. And there are these old white men like Martin Vizcarra that just rule around there. And we're just ex- completely extolled and away from this reality. And from what it seems is that the, the call for protest uh, in the past week have been this kind of uh, voice, voice of repression, of coming out and saying we're extremely distasteful with all that's happening, and the politics is all trash, and we don't agree with with this the, the system of representation that exists now. And I think this distaste for politics is good and bad because it's good because it creates these protest movements that are very valid and could change things. I mean, we saw in Chile that it changed the constitution, but it's bad in a way because it creates this this political misunderstanding of what really politics is about. Right. Politics is not just about voting. Politics is just not about reading about the president and the vice president. Politics is acting in your local councils, and your municipal elections, voting for your municipal councillors that are also really important. Right. Not just voting for the president. For example, there are Brazilian elections now for the municipal councillors and for mayors. These are also really important elections to vote for. So I feel that this distaste, this political distaste uh, ends up creating this uh, this uh, separation between people and politics, which I kind of disagree with, but I think it has this really nice aspect of going into of people going to the streets and protesting. And one of the aspects that I wanted to discuss about the protests, which I think is uh, relates a lot to Brazil, Is the caseta which we call pane in brazil um as a peruvian do you think it's really effective or all of you all of you do you think it's an effective method of protesting because i personally think it's the most millennial form of protesting in the world because people don't even leave their houses to complain they don't even go down to the streets to complain they're complaining from their houses and i think it's it's this kind of really really far apart political protest movements that just really doesn't do anything. What do you guys think?
1: I disagree with you. Uh lazos is something that we've seen in Ecuador for so many years now. I can think of when, like, the time we were trying to take down uh, Lucio Gutierrez, and I was a baby, but I remember, um, like, listening to stories of my parents going, going to the protests, taking their ollas and like a, I don't know, a kitchen tool to like make noise, going to the streets to make no, no oh, noise. Oh no, but do. I'm
0: talking about the in at home. So usually at, at least yeah. in Brazil, when you say, cas- say panelazo, it's like people being inside, yeah. cleaning their pots and not going outside.
1: No, no, no. I agree. I'm, I'm going back to, to that point. So I'm, I'm starting with like the, the history of cacerolazos in, in Ecuador. I think that because of the pandemic, because a lot of people cannot go to the streets, uh, I think that Cacerelazos have like, uh, like become this new way of like processing. So there's like an improvement, like Lazos 2.0 uh, where like people can do that from their homes uh, because they cannot leave. And I think, especially during the pandemic, I think it's important to make like, it's a way to make noise uh and it's it's an opportunity for you to have a voice to to try to express what you're feeling if it's uh again sorry it's in in favor of like the things that are happening in our cities and in our societies so i do think that they are important i think they i don't know the how effective they are i think it's important to have this type of uh and forms of protest because it's a way of that they civilians the society has to show how they're feeling, what they're thinking. And I think it's just like when when one person does it, I don't know what what kind of result that's gonna have, but when an entire neighborhood, an entire city does that, especially when I'm talking about the lazos that are more organized. Like people know that at 8 p.m. they're all gonna go to their balconies and start making noise for a for an an entire minute. So those type of um, forms of organization that the society is organizing, that the population is trying to do, that the people are trying to come together to do these type of um, protests, I think they are important. I think they're a sign that the people are tired. I think they're a sign that people are capable of trying to fight for for the, the democracy, trying to fight for the future of their country. So I think that they're Effective and I think they are important.
2: Yeah, I also think the context that we're right now, as Raquel was saying, it really brings other ways of pro- protesting. Uh, I, I I see a comparison within which moments of my life I use the cacerolazos. At the beginning of the pandemic, people went with and do the cacerolazos to say thank you to to the to the people working in, in health services, and now we're using it for a completely different reason. And I, I do. I do think that it really. Uh, it's important to see the context and also see how effective it is. Maybe it does not uh, do an, uh call in rapid change uh, in the community, but I think it does bring a lot of people together, and and it's a way to to feel to feel heard, and I think that there's a lot of uh, that's a very important thing as a young, and. Uh, I think, especially Peruvian, that we know that sometimes we're not being heard uh, by, by our government. Maybe for more people, it will mean more uh, to do noise in the street, because at least someone is hearing. Maybe the policeman there, may, maybe their neighbor is a major. I, I do agree with, with you, uh, Leo, that maybe how effective are we using cacerolazos? I also think other forms of pro- protesting, for example, I saw here they're doing the tuitazo which is going into to Twitter at 2 p.m. and using a hashtag, which I know it, it can have different consequences, but but yeah, you can see how different mobilizations and maybe I think I do agree with Raquel that it's more about bringing people together than maybe actually doing a rapid change within the community. But yeah, they, those are definitely very valid questions. How effective are these movements? How effective are our type of protest? Uh, I do think that they, they do perpetuate uh, a Pacific protest, which I think it's good uh, to what's been happening in different uh, manifestations in Latin America. So yeah, I don't know uh, what um, others think about cacerolazos, but for me it's a new experience and I I really appreciate it. I think they do bring people together, which I think it's important in times of crisis.
3: I'm actually gonna agree with Leo, um, especially because I I think Leo has the same perception I do, um, that in Brazil, these panelazos are are really connected with a more elitist section of society. And it really, at least for me, it shows a real of course now that we're in a pandemic and we shouldn't be really going out anyways. I think we're a completely valid form of protest. But uh, in Brazil in twenty in the early like twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, when we were having um this movement to oust uh President Juma, uh, it was a very millennial elitist um elitist action to do, which really showed the disconnect that uh, the Brazilian elites have with uh, the real, not the real, of course, but uh, with the working classes of the country, um, as they would just stay in their apartments in the center of the cities, uh, banging pots and demanding uh, the a democratically elected president uh, be ousted. Um, so um, I, I will agree with Leo uh, in the point that, um, at least in the case of Brazil, of course, I'm unfamiliar with uh, them in Ecuador or, or in Peru, uh, but in the case of Brazil, they are not only ineffective, but they are lazy and they are also um, really elitist and bourgeois in a way.
0: Yeah, because I think that's 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 um, Gilly is banging on a really important point. I think that in Brazil, it got this stigma for being a a movement of the upper middle class against leftist politics. Like generally, the people doing panelassos were people that are richer, urbanized, and that are protesting generally against corruption, against the Workers' Party, against, and against Lula, right? So I think I got this really stigmatized procession of what panelasas are, but uh, maybe the and panelasas in, in Peru and Ecuador have a more popular... Uh, base, right? Maybe they have a greater uh, opportunity of getting people together and they can actually be perhaps a more effective way of getting people together. And it's getting people in tune with the same kind of message and also talking about protests. And we know in there that you participate in the protests. And I was wondering, what are the feeling in the streets? What are people saying in the protests? What is the general feeling of people that are going out in the streets and complain and uh, and and because of the impeachment process?
2: Yeah, I think that the main message is that it's, it's unity within Peruvians. It's that we want to be heard, and we, we want to be heard in the best way that we can, showing who we are, showing our culture. The protests are full of music, they're full of dances, they're full of chanting, singing. It's, it's a very empowerment emp- empowering moment um, being in the march. Uh, Seeing everyone, a lot of people fighting for the same thing, which is we're seeking for representation. We're seeking for someone to hear us. And for at least I I was part of a protest that was very Pacific. Everyone were helping everyone. People were giving um, face masks. They were giving free waters. They were taking care of each other, which I think it is very important within protests. But definitely uh, I, I do believe that sometimes People take advantage of this massive movement of people to do other other stuff. It's very scary sometimes. Also here to be part of protests because it's very common right now that p- police brutality is basically tearing up the protests. Uh, we have a right in the constitution as people of as Peru, we have a right to, ma- to manifest what we think. But it seems that that right is is being repressed by the police. Is being repressed by. By the new uh, ministers, is being repressed by the new president. They're lying to, uh, to to us when they're saying they're not using certain instruments of repression, such as sh- um, guns or also tear gas. But we're seeing them, them we're seeing them ourselves. I, I, my friends have sent me videos uh, where the police are are really be, being really violent. What what we are trying to show the rest of the community and also bring people together is either we want unity, we don't want more crisis, we don't want more fights, we want to be together and fight together. There's a lot of youth, that's that's a very important thing. There's a lot of youth uh, that are fighting. And I think that it relates to the idea, I think that Leo, you said, there's a lot of corruption, uh, corruption that a, a lot of uh, older generations said, oh, I give up in politics. Because I, for the whole of my life, uh, Peru has been so corrupt, why am I gonna even say something about it? But we're young and we're just starting to understand and how politics can affect our lives. And we're not going to stand down. We're not going to sit down and see how they take our future, how they take our education. But yeah, most of the protests are pacific. But sadly, lot of, lots of governments are also, lots of political parties are also, also seeing this opportunity to bring people together through populism saying, oh, I'm going to go to the protest, So next time in the elections, you vote for me. So you see these conflicts of interest within within the the protests, but what you mostly see is young people and no one cares about the political party of any other young people. They're just walking together down the city so we we can be heard. And we also want not only Peru to hear us, but we also want the world to see what's happening here because they're repressing us. The media is repressing the protests. The So yeah, I think that we want uh, as young people is to be heard.
0: And it's interesting how the how the protests are, are a movement really against this this the corruption in in Peruvian politics, and that's something that I really wanted to talk about because, um, and that's something that you mentioned too, that most politicians in the Congress or many of the politicians in the in the Congress have been indicted for corruption or have been or uh, are, are already in jail. Uh, the head of the opposition parties like. Uh, Keiko Fujimori is currently in jail uh, for for her, uh, she's in house arrest for illicit campaign deals. Um, and we had the same thing happening with the past presidents in Peru, such as Alan Garcia, Oyanta Humala, and PPK in 2016. Um, it was really dramatic and it was big because of the big Odebrecht case, which was what I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, how Odebrecht is taking over the world. Odebrecht is this Brazilian company, this Brazilian construction company um, that has been involved with bribing politicians from all over Latin America and Africa. They have been involved in bribing corruption uh, uh, presidential campaigns for several presidential uh, candidates in Peru, including including Keiko, including Alan Garcia, and even ex-presidential candidates that didn't even get elected. So the Odebrecht was controlling both sides of politics, both the left and the right, uh, the opposition and the, the government. And it's interesting how it just completely, completely uh, divested and in, in in entered uh Peruvian politics in the same way that it entered Brazilian politics with the Operation Car wash. It created all these dramatic moments. Um I think it was in 2019 when 2019 when Alan Garcia killed himself, uh which was also a really dramatic moment. It was almost like a, a, a film, like a movie cinematic moment where like I imagine him receiving the documents of of. Of, of indictment for corruption and, and he had just received like I think four days before his his suicide uh, the the uh, charges for corruption and then he killed himself right after that so I imagine the scenic moments and it's so and it's so characteristic of Latin American politics right the the whites oh, old man being corrupt uh, being corrupt and being charged for corruption charges now. That, now it's the big thing, right? Now, oh, before he wasn't, he wasn't charged with anything, and now at least there's this new movement with Operation Car Wash and with the whole uh, opera, uh, the whole legal operations around Odebrecht. At least we've been having some, um, some fight back against corruption in that sense, right?
2: Yeah, and just a quick note on Alan Garcia, I think that was a very powerful moment here in Peru. It was terrible as well because you know, um, Odebrecht itself has been like a major force who has ki- kind of taken the power of the, most, of, of the most powerful faces in politics here in Peru and as well as Latin America. But I, I just would say that it's to a certain extent Alan Garcia is a great example because, um, just as you said, he, he was charged and um, big, uh, he was, um. Charged because of, co- of of corruption and then he killed himself but one of the most i think impactful things is that he left a letter uh, when he c- killed himself saying that why did he kill himself because no one was going to take his power he was the only one who's going to be able to ki- to take his his own power and and i, I think that it shows to what extent a uh, corruption and and also the ego of these politicians are embedded in, in politics and in all of this um, chain of corruption. Like, um, I don't know, for me, it was very powerful to see no one is going to take me to jail. I'm going to stop that, even taking my life. It's a, I'm going to even take my life just to see that even corruption or the politics of, or jurisdictions or law cannot take me down. And I think it's uh, a very common in Latin America, these great powers, dramatic powers, that will will not uh, be like put down by other forces but that, but they but by themselves i don't know i i do think it's very powerful and and at the end it shows it shows the population that to what extent as, as you said before people don't want to get to poli- into politics because we have these figures around history that have shown that no one can put them down even even though they've killed a lot of people even though there's been and you know, a lot of corruption uh, charges but yeah alan Garcia and the moment that he killed himself and how he he made this argument when he killed himself it seems like he was alive when he when, when he got killed. So yeah I I think it's very powerful to see our, our, our histories and, and see these white men and, and what they perpetuate much more than just a white figure but as a power that will not be let down by other other forces.
0: Yeah. And if it's such a strong power that is hard to beat, this corruption that won't leave Latin America, we try so hard to get rid of it and it won't go away. I wonder what will happen in Peru following these, uh, now the impeachment of Escarra and the current protests. I wonder if uh, we've had the same discussion here about Chile, whether Chile is going to actually change following the constitutional setting. I wonder now, will Peru change? Because there's their protests are claiming for a new constitution. Um, but the but that's, that hasn't happened yet and the just the impeachment has happened and the elections are coming up soon. So I wonder will will it be now will the will a call for a new constitution be a topic in the presidential election, for example?
2: Uh, I do think that a lot of people are asking for a change in the constitution, but i I, I really don't have an answer. It's, it's such a questions and inquiries of what's going to happen next. Uh, as Peruvians, we also need to ask ourselves, what are we asking Where we are? What, what, when we do these protests? Are we asking for Merino to step down? Who is going to step up as president? The next one who could step up as president is a congressman. Are we going to elect one of the is, is, is the... is the next congressman that it's going to be president? We, we don't know. Maybe if Merino steps down. Is him another of the people that are charged? with different corruption cases, are we going into like a same cycle? So it's scary. Uh, I hope that maybe a change of the constitution, I understand this constitution, it's the constitution of 1993 from Alberto Fujimori, he was a dictatorship. And I, I just I just think that democratization in Latin America has a lot of traits from previous regimes, such as dictatorships. And I, I, I don't know how much uh, those traits will change if we change the if we if we create another constitution, will they go away that fast? Or maybe it's a, I don't know. It's a, a great question. But what I know right now is that we are uh, tired of corruption. I don't know if the change of the constitution is gonna be the best way. Uh, if it is, I'm all for it. And but yeah, we as Peruvians, as Latin America, we need Latin Americans. We need to step down sometimes and think what we want the next step to be. Uh, we need to take control of our future. And I think a lot of, of, of young Peruvians and educated Peruvian are trying to do that in, in, in that way. For example, I've seen different forces in social media that are saying, what are, we, what are we asking for? We should create a document or something and send it to the government because at the end, they're going to do what they think we want. And we've seen that that doesn't work because we don't have representation in the government. So I think it's important to maybe take control a little bit more of what the future actions are going to be. I, I, I do believe that making some changes that have put in the population in crisis is is important. And definitely the change in constitution because a lot of Peruvians are asking for it. It's going to be a topic in the elections. And we'll see what happens. Maybe they change for worse, maybe change for better. But let's hope it's for better.
1: Yeah, and with what you, you said at the beginning of um, se metieron con la generación equivocada, I think that that's a, an actual, actually a powerful message because we need these new generations to to come up with these ideas, with these plans. Uh, we need to stay. We need to actively engage with politics, with how politics work in our in our countries. So I think that me- as members of of the, this new generation, it's on us to work on these together.
0: Okay, with that. With that beautiful message, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for coming, especially Andrea for her for her special contribution and reminding everyone that El Cafecito is available on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye bye. Ciao. Ciao. Oh,
1: ciao. Thank you.